Welcome back to the first episode of Season 2 of the Artist Plunge Podcast. That's so exciting for me to say out loud. When I recorded the first podcast episode last year, we were just digging out of an unprecedented snowstorm here in Austin, Texas, and I wasn't really sure why I was bothering with starting a podcast after living without heat and water for 10 days. But here we are a year later, the sun is shining, and I am so excited to go with you on a hunt for more artist journey stories. But this season, I thought I would mix things up just a bit. In my own artist journey, I have always had an affinity for words. As a lawyer, words were my sole medium, and as an artist, I'm still fascinated with words. The weight of words, the ubiquitous abundance of words in our society, and the geeky fun of subtle wordplay. Yes, I am one of those artists who actually loves the process of naming my artwork. I think titles are like little clues to the viewer about what was rumbling around in my head during the making of the artwork. And yes, my titles are often a bit cheeky. I know there are a lot of talented artists out there who are also great writers. So to honor the written word and to prove that blogs are not archaic, I'm going to alternate introducing you to artists through interviews with introducing you to artists through their words by sharing blogs, articles, and other writings with you. With the artist's permission, of course. For the first Artist Words episode, I want to celebrate the life of one of my absolute favorite artist who passed away on Christmas Day, Wayne Thebo. I love the way I feel when I look at his pies and cakes and crazy San Francisco streets, which for the record is actually how they look when you are walking up Potrero Hill. I love his calm demeanor and kind eyes. Can you even imagine how wonderful it must have been to be one of his students at Sacramento Junior College or later at Cal Davis? So jealous. I would like to go first to the words of artist Jennifer Con Barlow of Potomac, Maryland, who captured much of my same sentiments about Wayne. In her blog, Jennifer recently wrote, I never met the man. I never was going to meet him, and he clearly had a long life. But today, when I heard of the passing of Wayne Thebo, age 101, I became deeply saddened. Why am I so sad about his death? He is offering me the same ideas and works of art on the internet or in the museum as he did two days ago when he was alive. Why does an artist like Wayne Thebo make me think twice when his obituary shows up in the New York Times? I keep coming back to the same answer. It's personal. We never met or talked or corresponded, but to me, Wayne Thebo was a legend, a mentor, a role model, a groundbreaker. Wayne's artwork was the first I had ever seen of sweets, ice cream, and cakes. He showed me that food images can be art, and Thalo Blue can have a prominent place on an artist's palette without overwhelming it. Wayne taught me that I can use my paint thick so it mirrors cake frosting, and if you look close enough at a shadow, there's actually a warm hue on the very rim. This man, who I never took an art class from, taught me to view the world differently that there is beauty in objects that people take for granted, like a set of keys or a sleeve of thin mint cookies. Every time I'm at the Smithsonian American Art Museum, I make a point to visit Thebo's jackpot machine, as if I'm saying hello to an old friend. When visiting a museum or gallery, viewing his work is my first priority. His paintings take my breath away. My blood starts pumping and gets me so excited. He showed me that I wanted to be an artist, too. It is sad that this trailblazer no longer walks the earth, but I am so thankful he did. 
I'm not sure where I or my art would be if he had not existed. His art has touched me. Perhaps that is the goal of every artist, to take how they see the world, adeptly express that view, pass along the knowledge that they have gained, and influence the next generation of artists. Then ideas build on each other. Rest in peace, Wayne Thiebaud. Thank you. So lovely, Jennifer. Thank you for sharing. And if you take a look at Jennifer's own artwork, you will see that she and Wayne share a love for sweet things. Jennifer paints food. And as she says in her bio, the gooier and more colorful the food, the better. Her luscious, vibrant work will definitely get your mouth watering. And as an aside, another fun fact about Jennifer, she often includes recipes with her artist newsletter. So make sure you hop onto her website and sign up for those artful recipes. That's brilliant, Jennifer. Next, I want to share an article written by Laguna Beach artist Hetty Buzan. Hetty paints and makes hand-pulled prints and monotypes of colorful landscapes and symbolic abstractions. Someone once described Hetty's work as personal and expressive with the touch of the poet in it. So it should come as no surprise that Hetty is also an excellent writer. First, I would like to share Hetty's article recently posted on the Slow Art Day website about Tebow's passing. Tebow was one of the most important American artists of our generation. Misdescribed as a pop artist, Tebow's work was simultaneously accessible and deep, rooted in art history and slyly funny, idiosyncratic, yet universal. His work, accessible in print and online, but always best seen in person, was thick with glorious impasto and color nuance. American in his subject matter, he famously painted still lifes of cakes and pies, but also archetypical figures and landscapes of the vertiginous hills of San Francisco and the rolling Sacramento Delta. Thibault was eclectic in his influences. There is as much Matisse, Daumier, and Cezanne in his works as there is in the influence of Hopper and Disney. Moreover, Thibault had a brilliant mind, as evidenced in his 1981 essay, A Fellow Painter's View, of Giorgio Morandi. And for those of you listening, I will include in the show notes a link to Thibaut's essay on Morandi. I encourage you to read it. Thibaut was always looking, 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 and open to the new. At the end of his life, he did a series of paintings of the most hackneyed subject in American art, clown paintings, and made them into transcendental experience. An exhibition of his work was shown last year at Laguna Art Museum. Thibaut had a second home in Laguna Beach and loaned and gave works to the local museum, as well as mentoring artists up to the final year of his life. He liked to work in the mornings, play tennis, take a nap, and work again in the afternoons. He drew daily. He loved to teach, and each of the three times I've heard him lecture, he repeated the same anecdote. I love to ask students, especially beginning students, one question. Who is painting the painting? You? or the painting? They invariably answer, I am painting the painting, to which I say, wrong answer. You need to follow the painting and see where it takes you. What wonderful words of advice as regarding painting and life. Let's just pause a moment and hear that again. His words were, you need to follow the painting and see where it takes you. Hetty was also kind enough to share her article from the online publication Stu News Laguna about Thibaut's clown exhibit. I will share the link to the full article in the show notes, but I wanted to share a few excerpts. 
Here we go. There is something extraordinary in the final works of great artists. When an artist has spent a life exploring the meaning and range of painting as openly and honestly as Thebo, there is something otherworldly in the work. All is truth. The unessential is stripped away. A lifetime of skills come up against the wisdom of age, and newly resonant work emerges. We see this in Monet, Bonnard, and Clay, and in Thibaut's Clowns. And since it is Thibaut, the work is simultaneously accessible and deep, rooted in art history and slyly funny, idiosyncratic yet universal. Clowns are, of course, a weighted subject. Tragic and comic, the clown entertains in his own liminal space between artifice and greater truth. He is egotistic, the butt of jokes, given to pratfalls and misconceptions, his time in the spotlight fleeting, his true identity masked in an absurd costume and a mask of grease paint. These clowns are existential artists, parading our foibles out before us in all their absurd, self-important glory. We look and laugh at them as we recognize ourselves. But Thibaut is not only spectator, but actor. He too knows what it means to be an artist as a public figure. So we see clowns wrestling with fame, a jack-in-the-box clown with his apprentice, mauled by an animal cracker's tiger, loving and loathing the spotlight, his only pal, his circus dog. The clown is a lonely figure. But these clowns are not so lonely, they have one another. The galleries are populated by references to other artists, also in the guise of clowns. There's a large drawing of a dog with his Picasso-like clown owner in trademark striped shirt, Another, where a Cezanne-like clown drapes an arm over his Tebow-like pal, a silver-wigged portrait calls out Andy Warhol, an elderly clown evokes Daumier's barristers, and simultaneously is an observation of the vagaries of age. The stoop, the elephantine ears, the reddened nose. Finally, at the end of the show, is a lovely little multicolored self-portrait of Tebow from 20 years previous. A tour de force of highly colored paint with a magical dance of hair rendered as free brushstrokes. It reveals Thibaut as an amazingly skilled prankster, the clown amongst us revealing and reveling in the greater truth. Thank you, Hetty. Such an eloquent tribute to the artist and his work. Hetty also shared some fabulous links to interviews with Thibaut. I encourage you to go to the link in the show notes and listen to the 2018 interview with Thibaut from Morgan Library and Museum, but I particularly want to share a part of that interview that really resonated with me. Thibaut was asked how he came to paint the pies and cakes, and he shared the story of a conversation he had with fellow artist William de Kooning. He said, William said, well, you're a pretty good painter. Why are you just copying people like me and Franz Klein? What you are doing is the mistake a lot of young painters make, trying to make what you think is art the signs of art, whether it's the drip or the silver paint or the grandiose signature, those are all the elements which are not important. What you want to find is something that you know something about, that you like, or you've fallen in love with, or something that really means something to you that you have experienced. Can we pause? Okay. Oh my goodness. How many times have you found yourself getting caught up in making the, quote, signs of art. Are you making something that you know, something that you have experienced, something that you love, something that really means something to you? 
Tebow went on to share that after the conversation with de Kooning, he went back to teaching and wanted to regroup and get back to very basic things. So he started drawing ovals. The rows of ovals made him think of working in a restaurant, of, quote, very American things. He thought of them as very abstract shapes, and he asked himself, what am I going to do with these things? And suddenly, he saw all those pies. And as he thought to himself, well, there's a losing proposition. People can't take you seriously painting this stuff. But somehow, I had connected to something that was interesting to me. <laughs> Are you connected to something that interests you? It's making me think that I should spend some time in my studio just looking at my own work and considering, does this thing on the substrate interest me? Do I love it? Speaking of sitting and thinking about artwork, before we leave today, I want to go back to Hetty's article that was on the Slow Art Day website. For those of you unfamiliar with Slow Art Day, Phil Terry, the CEO of Creative Good Consulting Firm, started the event to invite novices and experts to experience the power of looking at art slowly. According to a recent study, museum goers spend on average just 17 seconds looking at an individual painting, and that statistic might be generous. According to Terry, people usually go to a museum, see as much as they can, get exhausted, and don't return. Slow Art Day is meant to energize people. This year's Slow Art Day will be Saturday, April 2nd, 2022. So mark your calendar. Again, that's April 2nd, right after April Fool's Day. There are currently 43 venues participating, all of which are listed on the slowartday.com website. But if you don't see a venue in your area, why not start one? The idea is simply to go to a space that offers artwork and sit with one work for an extended period of time, maybe five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe even an hour. Can you imagine? Capture your observations, thoughts, emotions, and then get together with others who have done the same to share what you discovered. I have to admit, I was unfamiliar with Slow Art Day, but I am super excited about finding a venue and a group of people to share in the experience this year. I would love to hear about your experiences with or plans for a Slow Art Day. So please leave a message on the Artish Plunge Instagram post for this episode and inspire all of us with your ideas or experiences. Well, that wraps it up for us today and the first Artish Words episode. Ta-da! Thank you again to Jennifer Con Barlow and Hetty Buzan for allowing me to share their posts. Please go to the show notes for links to explore Jennifer and Hetty's artwork and writings, as well as some fascinating interviews with and articles about the wonderful Wayne Tebow, who will always have a seat on my top five dinner party guest list. Next week, we will be back with a new artist interview, which may inspire you to pull out your old shoulder pads. What? Until then, stay kind, stay positive, and keep swimming. And have a piece of pie for Wayne. <laughs>